Well, our reading today comes from Psalm 100, which can be found on page 500 of the Church Bibles, and it's also going to appear on the screen. And uh, just discussing the Psalms with uh, a couple of folks before the service, and uh, you know, the Psalms are sometimes referred to as God's songbook. Uh, they cover the, really the full range of, of human emotions, from joy to despair, and uh, a great thing just thinking about as we go into a new year is just to read through uh, a psalm a day and um, uh, just cover that songbook over uh, 2024. We're, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 100, which was the call that we used at the beginning of the service, and then we're going to look at that together. So the psalmist says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Well, let's pray as we look at that psalm together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that as uh, we look at it now, that you would set our eyes on you, that you would still our hearts, uh, perhaps from anything that may be distracting us right now, and that you would meet with us by your Spirit now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder as uh, we close the chapter on 2023 and get ready to head into a new year, are you all set to grab the bull by the horns? Uh, Maybe you're motivated with a whole set of New Year's resolutions and you just can't wait to get going. Uh, If you're looking for a couple, uh, I came across a BuzzFeed article the other day that gave 27 easy New Year resolutions that can make a big difference with little effort. That's the kind of list uh, that I like. Uh, uh, Some of those suggested resolutions, they include making your bed every day or uh, flossing. Uh, And maybe one that's perhaps a bit more interesting, if you commit to reading for 30 minutes a day in 2024, then you could read your way through about 20 books next year. Uh, There's a lot that can be achieved in a year just by taking things a day at a time. Uh, But maybe you're just looking ahead to the next few weeks and your resolution is no more ambitious than to just plug on through. The idea of, say, a a New Year's exercise routine, uh, uh, that's no mean feat when it comes to an early January morning in Leith. Uh, It can be hard to motivate ourselves sometimes, can't it? And that can be true not just with uh, New Year's exercise routines. It can also be true when it comes to our relationship with God. And the psalm that we just read is a call to worship God. It's the call that we began our service with this morning. But it's not always easy to respond to a call like that, is it? Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. What if the only noise I feel like making right now is a groan? Serve the Lord with gladness. 
What if any act of service just feels like a real chore? Come into his presence with singing. You know, what if the last thing I feel like doing is raising my voice in song? Can I really respond to this call to worship? How can we experience joy when uh, maybe we just don't feel particularly joyful right now? Where does the motivation come from when I just want to press snooze and pull the covers back over my head? Well, Psalm 100 is a great place to go when we struggle for motivation. It doesn't just call God's people to joyful worship. It also gives us the motivation to respond to that call. And so we're just going to take a little bit of time to, to, to look at this uh, Psalm this morning to see why we can be joyful as we head in to a new year. But first of all, what does it mean to find joy in something? Uh, the, the word the Bible uses uh, to describe that is to rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice? Well, Tim Keller describes it like this. He says, to rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Now, there's quite a lot there, so let me repeat it. To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Uh, that's not something that, that, that we can just do like that, is it? That's something that takes a bit of time. And when it comes to uh, true joy... Uh, it's all got to do with where we look uh, or who we look to. You see, a lack of joy, it comes from a problem with where we direct our worship. You know, all of us, whether we realize it or not, are worshipers. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is who or, yeah, who are we worshiping? You know, simply put, our, our worship is going to be directed in one of two ways. Uh, we'll either worship God or we'll worship ourselves. And the problems arise when our focus, our attention is directed away from God onto ourselves. Now, self-worship can take all sorts of different forms. And in a sense, it may appear that it is directed at something other than ourselves. You know, it could be that our focus is on money. Uh, whether that's saving it or spending it or worrying about our lack of it. Uh, our desire for wealth could be what motivates us and consumes our time and our attention. Or it could be our reputation, what, what others think of us becomes what drives us. Or it could be someone else. Being accepted and loved by someone is where we look for satisfaction. Now, all of those areas, whatever form they take, when they become the place that we look to for ultimate meaning, identity, and purpose, then they become the things that we worship. Uh, and according, it, according to the Bible, anything that takes the place of God as the object of our worship, anything that we look to as our ultimate source of identity 
and happiness is an idol, a, a false god. And any idol worship is ultimately a worship that is directed back on ourselves. You see, we worship these things for how they make us feel or for what they can give us, whether that's meaning or purpose or happiness. So really, any worship that's not worship of God ends up as worship of ourselves. And the problem with self-worship in the end is that it doesn't give us the joy, the gladness that we long for. And that's because idols, they, in the end, they don't give. They take. They, they take from us. If we are treasuring things, uh, searching for sweetness in things that are, are fleeting and fragile, well, there's a limit to the joy that they're going to give us because they don't last forever and they can be taken away from us. And our hearts, they don't find rest there. They will find insecurity. They'll find uncertainty. Treasuring idols, it's not a recipe for joy and gladness. It leads to stress. It leads to anxiety. It can lead to depression. Now, if you think back over 2023, uh, and you were, say you were to take an audit of your time, where would your time be focused? Now, think of the time that you've spent uh, scrolling on your phone. If you ever actually dare to look at the, the screen time on your phone, there's, phones are really helpful these days. They can tell you exactly how long you've been spending on them. What has that screen time involved? Where has your attention been drawn? How does that compare with the time that you've spent resting on treasuring God? You know, if our attention and our focus is in a particular area, then it's little wonder if we're not finding peace and rest if it's not on God. See, it's only worship of God that truly gives. And that's where the psalmist directs us in these verses. So what is it that we learn about God here in this psalm that can fire our hearts with true joy, with joy that lasts? A joy that, that, that it's not just like a keep that frown upside down type of joy that, that's an always look on the bright side of life type of joy, but a joy that, that transcends our circumstances, a joy that, that gives us rest, whatever might be going on. Well, look what the psalmist says in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So true worship, worship that leads to joy, it begins by lifting our eyes away from ourselves and looking to God. This psalm is all about God. He's referred to 15 times in these five short verses. But what do we learn about him? Well, first of all, he's a God who can be known. Four times in this psalm, he's referred to as Lord. Now, wherever you see Lord in block capitals in the Bible, that is a reference to God's personal name, the name that he used with his people, his covenant name, Yahweh. In the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, had the privilege of a covenant relationship with the Lord. 
Now, a covenant was a relationship that was marked by promises. And God, he promised to be their God and take them as his people. We've been studying in in the autumn, we we were working through the life of Abraham and we, we were learning about where that covenant was established as God promised to, to bless Abraham and his descendants and take care of them. He, he promised them a land, and he fulfilled those promises. You know, as we get to Psalm 100, those who, who, who sang this psalm could look back on the way that God had been faithful, how he had called them to be his people, how he had rescued their ancestors from slavery in Egypt, how he had provided for them, in the wilderness, and how he'd brought them to the land that he had promised to bring them to. He'd made them into a nation. They were a people who belonged to him, a people whom he cherished. See, the God of the Bible is not a God who is distant. He's not a God way up there who doesn't care. He is a God who has revealed himself, a God who knows us intimately and can be known. He's a God who made a people for himself and who cherishes them as his. We do not worship an unknown or an unknowable God. We worship a God who has made us his and who delights to call us his. He's a God who cares for his people as a shepherd cares for his sheep. Just as the shepherd knew his sheep and, and tended for them, uh, tended to them and protected them, so God provides for and protects his people. This is the God that, that we worship, the God of Psalm 100, the God who made us his people, not because we did anything to deserve it, but purely because of his loving kindness and grace. He's the God who knows us better than we know ourselves, everything. He knows everything about us. There is nothing that God doesn't know. There's nothing that's hidden from his gaze. He knows everything that we need this morning. And he promises to provide for his people. Now, a God like that is more than worthy of worship. But the psalmist doesn't end there. He goes on, verse 4, he issues another call to worship. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So he uses the image of the temple to call the people into God's presence. To, to call them to give thanks and praise to him. And then in verse 5, he gives the reason why we should be so full of thanksgiving. He says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. So God deserves our worship, a worship that brings joy, not just because he is the almighty creator of the universe who made us and who knows us, but also, secondly, because he is good. You know, when we grasp something of the goodness of God, we have every reason to be joyful. But what does it mean to to say that God is good? How has he shown us his goodness? Well, that's what the psalmist explains in verse 5. He says that his goodness is seen in his steadfast love that endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. The reason we can have joy is because God is a God of steadfast love. Now, our world's view of love is often one that is based on feelings 
and emotions. So the romantic love that we, we're bombarded with in, in, in films or we hear about in songs, it's a version of love that, that people fall in and out of. It's sometimes described as overwhelming, something that just sweeps us along one moment, but then can be gone the next. And our world encourages us to be true to ourselves, to, to follow our hearts. And that means that when love grows cold, then it's time to give up, uh, to move on, to find that passion and romance in someone else even if that means leaving brokenness behind you, as it usually does. Now, some of you might have been on the end of that brokenness. You know what it is to have love withdrawn. Or maybe you've had love withheld. Maybe your experience of love is that it was conditional on your performance. Maybe a parent who only seemed to accept you when you achieved. And if you've had love withheld or you've had love removed, then it might leave you wondering, what if God withholds his love? What if he gets tired of me and moves on? You know, if we feel like that, then we will be constantly insecure about our relationship with him. If that's what we believe about God, then we'll never feel secure. We'll base our acceptance by him on our performance. And many, many people do that. And that kind of way of relating to God, that's not joyful at all. It's, it's a drudgery if we think that we have to earn God's acceptance. And it's so far from the love of God that is revealed to us here in this psalm. See, God's love, it doesn't come and go. It doesn't rise and fall. Notice it's described as steadfast. That means it's secure. It's rooted. It's unchanging. And it's not grounded ultimately in emotions. It's grounded on God's covenant promises. And it's a steadfast love that endures forever. It can withstand anything. There is nothing that we could do to make God break his promise to his people. And we only need to look at the history of God's people to see that. Uh, those who first sang this psalm, they could have looked back over the generations of their people. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, what you see are stories upon stories upon stories of rebellion and rejection of God, worship of idols, grumbling in the wilderness, repeated examples of disobedience. And yet, despite their sin, despite their rebellion, God remained faithful to his covenant promises. Again and again, Israel rebelled, and again and again, God was gracious in his dealings with them. Despite their faithlessness, he remained faithful. He never forgot them. His love was steadfast. His love was secure. And even though they did nothing to deserve it, he remained faithful. Those who first sang this psalm had every reason to praise God for that love and faithfulness. But how much more reason do we? You see, as we respond to this psalm, we do so with a far greater knowledge of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God than they had. 
You know, we can sing with joy and gladness knowing that, that God has revealed himself with the ultimate demonstration of his steadfast love and faithfulness seen in his son, Jesus. I mean, that's what we've just been thinking about over this Christmas period, how God made himself known by coming into this earth in the person of his son. And that means that we can enter his gates with thanksgiving today in the knowledge that Jesus has done what we could never possibly do. In his steadfast love, he chose to give up all the privileges of heaven. He chose to enter into our world. He chose to suffer rejection and betrayal and humiliation. He chose to go to his death on a cross so that God's covenant promises might be fulfilled. He chose to do that so that anyone who trusts in him might know what it is to be forgiven. What a wonderful thing it is to know what it is to be set free from the sins of our past. To be completely blameless in God's sight, forgiven through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. To know what it is to be adopted into the family of God, to be children of a heavenly Father who, who delights to call us His. To know what it is to be truly loved. Not by obtaining that love through performance, but by accepting that love as a gift of grace. It's a love that never leaves us. A love that never forsakes us. A love that endures forever. A love that is faithful even when we are faithless. A love that means that we can be joyful as we look forward to a new year. And that is where joy comes, whatever our circumstances. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the psalm. It gives us every reason to make a joyful noise to you, to sing out and praise your name because you are the God who loves us uh, with a steadfast love that endures forever. A love that, that, that washes our sins away, that cleanses us, that renews us, and that promises us an eternal hope. Lord, what a glorious way to go into 2024, uh, whatever else we might be facing in life, knowing that in the big picture, in the grand scheme of eternity, we can know peace and rest in you. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would uh, give us a vision to, to rejoice in you this year, to reflect on, on, on spending time with you, to deepen our faith, to grow in our, our love for you. And not so that we earn your favor, but Lord, because that is the key to true and lasting joy and peace and rest. And Lord, as we come to this table now to take bread and wine, we thank you that it's a, another way in which you have given us an opportunity to rejoice as we uh, see this visible reminder of the sacrifice that our Savior made, that we might know forgiveness and eternal life. We pray these things in his name. Amen.